Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh, clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're talking mountain turkeys with Mr. Josh Iderton. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing good, fellas. How y'all doing? Man, I'm doing great. Back on. Yeah, man. Jacob, how you doing? Ah, doing good. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, man, Josh, we just spent, uh, or me and my buddy Nick from the Gun Out Yourself podcast, uh, spent some time up in turkey camp in West Virginia uh, with you and the boys and uh, John and Cody from the Just Hunt Club on YouTube. 
And, uh, dude, it was uh, eye-opening, to say the least, uh, hunting turkeys in West Virginia in extremely steep country. Again, I was telling you beforehand, you know, we come from an area of Alabama that, you know, there are quote-unquote mountains around here. But, dude, compare that crap up there. I will hike up and over anything down here compared to some of those steep mountains up there where you guys are at. And uh, it's just kind of crazy how those turkeys will navigate that terrain. And that's why I really want to do this podcast because me and Nick went out for a few days. Uh, got there on one day, try to roost some birds, ran to, you know, as we'll learn a term on this podcast, we pie face the gobbler and, uh, you know, <laughs> saw some birds, had a good time. And then we had a few days of hunting and just screwed up a couple days and then hunted with you and learned a lot from you while hunting up there. So I really want to kind of talk a lot about that in this episode, but, uh, Josh, uh, appreciate you joining us from the podcast. And I got to say, now, appreciate you inviting us up for camp, dude, for Turkey Camp. That was an awesome time with you guys from the Untamed and uh, and everybody else like Josh and Cody, too. Well, that's going to – you all – you'll have to drag Andrew up there with you next year, and hopefully you get back up toward the end of the season and get one of your tags filled. Oh, dude, you, you, you can count on it, dude. It's uh, – one thing about that place, it's beautiful country, beautiful country. First time ever hunting in West Virginia, and uh, – I'll tell you one thing. You will appreciate your cardio and, and how good your cardio is when you go there. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll say this. I don't think I did terrible, but because uh, I was talking to Nick when we were up there hiking around this stuff, and uh, thankfully we've been you know covering a lot of miles down here in Alabama, but it's still not even comparable up there, dude. Just, I mean, how rugged that stuff is. And it gives me a new appreci- appreciation, not only for turkey hunters up there, but also the whitetail guys going up and down all those freaking hollers chasing whitetails too. Um, and like you told me while we were up there, you know, if you had a if you drag out a whitetail there, dude, you're talking about hours and hours and hours of work to try to get back to the truck if you're not quartering and packing it out. So um, it's unbelievable terrain and topography in that area of the country. Um, Josh, real quick, can you talk a little bit about your background when it comes to turkey hunting, specifically like g- growing up in say like West Virginia and hunting up there, and then hunting Virginia and you know Kentucky, Ohio, the whole nine yards, and just like your background when it comes to turkey hunting in that kind of more mountainous terrain. Yeah, well, I mean, I really didn't get into turkey hunting until, I mean, I I turkey hunted like through high school. I pretty much just jack legged around, didn't really know what I was doing, and then when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, a buddy that I actually that started started me out ground hunting. Uh, he started me out turkey hunting too, and showing me the ropes in the mountains and it wasn't until i think six years ago that i started like going out of state and hunting um hunting virginia in the mountains and uh, i've hunted kentucky a couple times which is just right across the border you know you can you're gonna go in kentucky in 35 minutes from you know where i hunt in west virginia and then in Ohio, you know, there's some pretty good mountains in Ohio, too, when you're staying into the southeastern parts of Ohio. So it's – it's. I've hunted Alabama. That's the only other state besides everything up here around the Ohio Valley and Appalachians. Uh, down in Alabama, it's got some hill country. Um, tough birds, real tough birds. Um, a lot of people, hunters, you know – you. You got to just find a place where there ain't no hunters down there, which is hard to do. Um, but that's kind of, it is a, uh, 
Man, I love doing it, but it is a it has been tough to continue to learn, and I continue to learn every year of what these birds do in these daggone mountains. Because man, they will absolutely throw you for a loop and cross behind you, circle above you when you think that you're on the same elevation as them. I mean, you think one's gobbling over here and he's actually right below you or right across from you because everything's echoing. So it's it's tough. I mean, I say the same thing about the deer hunting, you know. It, it's tough deer hunting. It's tough turkey hunting. Uh, we've had several uh, buddies up and turkey hunting with us, and they've all said the same thing. Like, they've hunted all over the country, elk hunted, turkey hunted, and the mountains aren't as big in West Virginia, but the steepness of them is as bad of an extreme as you can get that anywhere you go, it's pretty continuous. And I mean, you saw it on the, uh, on the on X app, when you go to the angle indicator, everything, everything we were hunting was dead ass red. <laughs> <laughs> 40, deg- 40 degrees plus. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it makes it tough. I mean, uh, the, you know, the birds don't like coming downhill. They don't like coming straight up the hill. Uh, and there's all kinds of the nooks and crannies throughout the side slope that they get in and you might be over top of them and they can't hear you, but you move 30 or 40 yards and then they can hear you. It's, it's just weird how, how the, the sound travels from them gobbling and you calling both ways. Um, so it, it, it's fun. It's, uh, it's tough, but. I mean, I absolutely love it, Josh. Uh, the for, from a terrain standpoint, like it sounds like you're dealing with some pretty extreme terrain, but from a habitat standpoint, you're hunting some pretty unique habitat because of the mining reclaim and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about what the habitat makeup is of the area? Well, everything on top is autumn olives, and I don't know if y'all have autumn olives down there, or, you know. It's not a uh, natural species there in southern West Virginia. It's been planted by the mines. And you all have laurel, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mountain laurel. So um, Jacob hunted three days in it, and it's 10 times worse as laurel, in my opinion, because some of it's got thorns on it, you know, that can, you know, they're inch and a half, two inch thorns. Um, it's way thicker. You can't hardly get through it, but there's, you know, you're hunting, you're not actually trying to call birds up in the strip. And I think that's what Jacob was planning on trying to do the first, first day. Yeah. And not to say that the birds don't come up on top on the old reclaim because they do. Or if you can find pockets, because if you you'll see a big autumn olive thicket, and there'll be pockets inside that autumn olive that are clear where it hadn't grown, and they'll hang out in there and just they'll drive you crazy, just gobbling. And but you don't know that pockets in there; you just think they're in the autumn olive gobbling at you, and they'll drive you crazy, and they'll be sitting in that clearing, just strutting. But besides the autumn olive, you know you got 
like high, I would call it, uh, I would, I, we just call it brown grass. It's like a bunch of hollow brown straw stuff. And then we have high regular grass, which they don't get out in that, you know, when it's wet, but when it burns off that a lot of people seem to want to call them up on high, but you got to hunt. Well, you don't have to, you can hunt any way you want to, but the way we hunt is we, you know, you have that that soft edge and that hard edge come together. So you got that open, you got big timber below all your surface mining reclaim. So we'll hunt, we get, get in and out of pockets in the autumn olives to get over to the timber edge. And then we, we cast our sound down or we cast our sound across to try to strike one. And when you say strike, like throw your sound across, like you're calling to a bird that's potentially all the way across a valley on the other mountainside. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the that's one of the strategies we use most of the time. It sucks because when you strike one over there, you got a goblin bird. You you're gonna go to the goblin bird, and you're either gonna go all the way around, or you're gonna go down and go right back up to try to get it. And that's just the way it is. Um, and then with our WMAs, it's walking only. So I, I, I want to, I want to dive into this a little bit because it was fun when Jacob came back here and he was talking about this. Cause he just spent the week up there hunting with you guys. And I called him, I think, I think the, when he was on his way back or something, I called him and I was like, well, Hey, how'd it go? And he's like, man, I messed up. And I'm like, you messed up. How'd you mess up? And he's like, I thought I could call these turkeys like we do in Alabama, like call them up the hill. And he was telling me that you're you're not necessarily trying to get above them and call them up to you. You're trying to get on their level. But Jacob, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because that, that was something pretty interesting to me. Like the train is so steep that you got to set up on them a little differently than we're used to. Yeah, so, uh, and Josh, I think there's so much here to talk about. Um, yeah, typically down here, you know, even in quote unquote steep country, which still doesn't compare to like the stuff up there in uh, southern West Virginia, it, typically you can try and get above, above a gobbler here and call him up that ridge line and he'll come right up to you and you can get a shot at him right when he comes across that military crest. Well, there, and you kind of told me, like, hey, if there's one down below, you need to call him at a 45 degree angle. You need to get off to one side or the other and kind of call him across the ridge. And, uh, one thing that was eye-opening, and you can kind of see this on the map, like you can see it on Onyx, but you really have to like put boots on the ground and like look on these ridge lines because all these mountains have a bunch of like surveyor roads, uh, skitter trails, logging roads at different elevations. So, you know, there's some areas it seems like every 80 to 100 foot down or up is a skitter trail. And it seemed like what I had experienced and also hunt with you, those turkeys really like to be around those skitter trails. And it's like, yeah, you get above one, but if you call to him, he might gobble his head off, but there's probably not a huge, uh, a high likelihood he's going to come straight up that super steep face. Because again, some of these spots are so steep. It almost, when you look at it, you're like, how does the earth not like slide down? Like in, in all honesty, in some of these locations, um, and, and like kind of erode off the top of these, uh, these side of these ridges because of how steep they are. I mean, it's, again, it's the steepest stuff I've ever been in, um, especially with how loose some of the soil is because you would think it's super rocky, and there is spots like this, especially on top, but you get on the side of these mountains, and it's it's pretty soft soil in a lot of it, at least that we climbed up and down. And that whole idea that you kind of talked to me after 
the second day of hunting before the third day when you went and hunted with us was like like yeah you could maybe try call them up you know from the you know from below you but really and you and zach really talked about this try to get onto that same skitter trail as in because it always seems like those turkeys those gobblers get down on one of those skitter trails one of those little logging roads on the side of the mountain and it's almost like you need to get on the back side of a point and then wrap around and call him down that skitter trail uh, to be able to get an opportunity at him. And, and again, that's something that was super eye-opening because, like, yeah, you'd hear birds, but when you found them, at least all the ones that we found, they were all down those skitter trails, and we were up above them, and uh, we didn't really we didn't really figure out how to make a good play on them until that day that we went and hunted with you. So, can you talk a little bit about that? The whole idea of like these turkeys really trying to hit these little flat spots, these little skitter trails, these little benches, and prospecting roads and how you have to try to hunt them when they're on those, you know, land features versus like how we would talk about hunting and where you're just trying to call them up and over that ridge line to get a shot at them. And you, you, you might very well be able to call one straight up to you. It's just that most of, most of these skitter roads that, that are in Southern West Virginia and they're prospecting roads. That's why they're on, you know, 100, 120 foot different elevations is because they're going with the coal seams. And what they do is they go around through there and they follow the coal seam and they're prospecting the coal on that. And it stays on the same elevation. And that's why they're there. Most of them here are uh, old coal prospect roads. And you might call one up to you. The problem is, is on all these skitter roads, if you get on that skitter road and you look, there could be a six to twelve foot embankment, a vertical embankment on the end, you know, on the inside of that road, and you you're sitting there and that bird's a hundred hundred yards, seventy five yards down the hill from you, and he's just thundering, and you're wondering, man, why is he hung up? Why is he hung up? Well, then. You got to make a move and you get down there with him and then you get down there to that, that bench or that road or whatever it is. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to get down to it because there's a little high wall there. You know, it's vertical. Bird's not going to walk up it. And most likely, you know, he's not going to fly up it and come to you. So, but they will traverse the hillsides at angles coming up. If they can get above that bench, if you're if you're maybe on the bench above and you can't make a move, we found pretty good luck in getting out to the sides of them and staying above them to where it, it gives them a chance to side heel to you and then come up on that next road. Um, but most of the time, if they're you know, like Zach's bird that he killed last week. We did call him up one, one road, because he was two or three roads below us. But then that he got to that road and he just sat there and gobbled, gobbled, gobbled. And we finally ran down. Well, we ran upstream around the point and dropped down the backside of that point. Got on the same level with him and killed him fifteen minutes later. After we were trying to call him up the hill for. 45 minutes you know it uh but when you know in the moment like we know better but like when you got one just sitting there just pounding you're like man he's gonna come up he's gonna come up this time most likely you know 
he's not. He might come even if if we if he would have you know if that bird just using that bird for instance if he would have got up over that embankment, I still think he'd end up behind us because he wasn't going to come straight up. You know he would end up coming behind us, getting us in a fouled up position of circling us because the ridge tops. You got to understand some of these ridge tops. Heck, they're not six eight foot wide. I mean, they just come right up, and they're peaked out. You know, you might you, and on the points, on these old roads that they've cut, it's wider there on them points. It's great strut zones. You know, that's where they go to, and they can they can gobble and call their hens in off, casting off both sides into two different drainage areas, and. That's where we kind of set up. I mean, it, they're just finicky on the way they travel the, these hills down here or up here. Yeah, and like the them being finicky is the the I guess the eye opening aspect because <clears throat> when you're hunting these kind of areas, it's like you know we had uh, what uh, Jake Belinda uh, in camp along with Hunter Walls. Hunter Walls. Yep, and. Um, you know, they struck a bird, they struck some birds at like 12, 15, uh, you know, they were running up a, a ditch, a, a drainage, kind of a, a stream drainage going up the ridge, struck some birds off the top and those turkeys came running right down to them. And they really, from the way they talked about, they really have a whole bunch of time to set up because those birds were so hot and they were coming in so quickly and they were able to double. Um, and it's like, you, I can see how you can run in situations with birds like that, but if they got hens or they're like, you know, one of these more dominant gobblers has really got his strut zone that he's super dialed into. It's like you almost have to get down that level with him and, and call him side hill across to you uh, on one of those skitter trails. And again, it seemed like nine times out of ten when you had a bird gobbling like that, if he was in some of that steep country and you're kind of looking at the map, you're like, oh, he's probably right off that skitter trail. Like He's not like he's just sitting on the side of that super steep embankment. And you talked about this with me and John from uh, Just Hunt Club about like those turkeys don't necessarily want to be in those super steep steep embankments like they may you know scratch around a little bit but if a gobbler's gobbling he's gonna be on some flat spot on the side of that super steep ridge and you got to figure out where that's at and how can you call them side hill to you yeah i mean can you can you imagine being on being a turkey and trying to stand there on two legs gobbling on the side of the hill getting all cattywampus to help you he's liable to tip over you know uh I'm not, I'm sure that they do it, but more times than not, they're they're not. It just it's just like this morning we went out, had three had had one I think was a boss gobbler. He was roosted by himself, and we got on these birds the Thursday when you texted on your way back and asked how we did this morning. I said we were on birds this morning, but then we didn't hear a bird from. 8.30 to 1. We hunted from 8.30 to 1, never heard another bird. Well, we had tried to go in towards them, like, from the front Thursday morning. And, of course, they went away from us. And then they just quit gobbling. Well, then this morning, we got up there super early, came in around the backside of the knob and had that boss gobbler gobbling. Well, there was two more gobblers down in the holler, like towards a, uh, towards a low swag, like a saddle. We got set up 
and we I worked these birds and worked these birds all morning, and they were gobbling pretty decent. And it seemed like all three of them were together on this point, strutting. And it'd been an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. And I, and I wasn't calling a lot. I'd call, they'd answer me, and then I'd sit tight. I was trying to just entice them. I was trying to show Zach that I had patience because I don't have a whole lot of it. I always want to get up and move towards them. I always want to get 10, 10 yards. Come on, we can move to this tree. <laughs> you know, I'm always pushing the envelope. <clears throat> the envelope. Well, then it'd been, like I said, iron 15, iron 20 minutes. And um, I called to them, and all three of them answered. Well, then I laid on them pretty hard. And when I laid on them, I laid on them for probably a good minute, yelping and cutting. Once I'd done that, I quit, and it wasn't. It wasn't just a few minutes. Those two, the two gobblers broke away from that boss gobbler because he gobbled again out there when they were already in the road coming to us. And I didn't think that those birds would come. I thought that they, you know, and I don't think we could have moved on them because in the, because we got in pretty tight this morning. And they side healed <clears throat> below. I was on a skitter road, but those birds side healed from a road below me and they side healed up at an angle and then popped out. They knew where that sound was coming from. They popped out 50 yards in front of us in the road. And then they got to about 25 and I gave them a big whiff. I just give them just a zing, just a zing by the head, just a zing. You know, and they, they flew off, and I was sitting there asking myself what what has happened. But but that those birds, if they'd have been any further, I don't think they'd have come any further below us. But they never made a peep when they was traveling side hill. They never made a peep until they hit the when they hit the bench that skid road, whatever you want to call it, that's when they blew up 50 yards out. And because I was sitting there pointing down the road, and I looked, and I could see them coming around the hill. And then they just they just side, they side held up, just like I told you, like at a 45, until they got in the vicinity of the sound and popped up. It worked. Everything worked out perfect this morning, other than my shooting ability. Uh, Josh, I wanted to ask real quick about roosting sites because you, you mentioned at the beginning of that story. You mentioned where they were roosted. Uh, I like down here. I've seen we don't have the like steep slopes like you guys have. Like we'll have a steep slope here and there, but it's not like everything is steep. Like on my hunting club, I've got one slope that is like really really steep. And I shot a turkey standing on it a couple weeks back. But those those really steep slopes, I feel like I find them roosted over those a lot. Almost like they like to walk up those and pitch off the top of them. So in a place that's really steep, like what you're talking about, do you find them roosting just right off the edges of those uh, little 
prospect trails where they're walking on that flat stuff and then pitching off of the side or is there any consistency to where you see the birds roost in your area uh well those those birds this past thursday were roosted in in the drain and then they this morning one was roosted dead on the point and then two were down there on the side hill the problem with roosted birds here is it's so steep to get in tight that bird might be up there in a limb 60 foot in a tree right mm-hmm. and he's just a hammering away well you walk around one of these skid roads and you're going to be looking at that summer gun right in the eyeballs <laughs> if he's below the skid road he's going to be on the same level as you if it's a tree on the side hill below one of the roads because it's the steep, you know, it's just like being in, in your tree stand or a saddle hunting steep train. You're, you're five feet from the bank over here, but you're 65 downhill. It's the same thing for those birds. Uh, so they're hard to get in. I mean, I'm not a big roosting guy. <laughs> Today would have been the second bird that I've killed, actually, because we heard them birds fly down today. That's it. We got tight on them. It was it was fun, but that would have only been the second bird I've killed from roost to barrel. So it Jacob, just, Jacob had an experience with this. I feel like <laughs> he had a he had a story about looking one in the eye this weekend, didn't you? Yeah, uh, coming back to whole pie face terminology that uh, Josh <laughs> likes to use a whole bunch. Um, yeah, Josh. So. That is something like something around here. Always seems like you know you get a bird goblin on the tree on the limb. If you got enough time, you know you're trying to make a move on. You're trying to get within that bubble. So when he flies down, you're not too terribly far. Well, I try to use that tactic up there, that strategy, and it severely hurt us. Uh, and, and you know you kind of gave me some words of wisdom after the fact, but you know like you said in that habitat. If they're gobbling and they're on that super steep face and you start working on those uh, skitter trails down, those logging roads down, like you said, like if they are pitching off that skitter trail, which they're more than likely doing it when they go to roost, they're being close to eye level, if not just below you potentially. Uh, and like you said, they could be 60 foot, 80 foot up a tree, you know, depending on how big the timber is around there, which is plenty big enough, like compared to what, where we were at, you know, those turkeys were roosted pretty high uh, in those trees. But the 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 situation we ran into was you know when it went to a spot you're like hey you know go listen to the head of this this draw and this and this listen because you could hear a bunch of a bunch around that uh that holler and it had some birds gobbling I was like man Nick let's 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 roll let's uh let's try to cut the distance because again there's I knew there's a skitter trail running right out to the point and I thought the bird was gobbling right off the edge of that point and we start going start covering some ground and it's like you know four or five hundred yards from us. And we get about 300 yards down the road, and we stop. I'm like, hey, let's 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 wait a second. And I'm like, let me owl hoot again. I owl hoot. And that sucker, at least the one, the first one we heard, was directly in line with us. We were directly above him, and he was maybe maybe 100 yards down the hill from us. Far enough, far enough down, I can't see him in the tree. But when he gobbles, as I tell people, tell people, if you're close enough to him when he gobbles, you hear like the back end of the gobble. almost sounds like a cough when they're that close. And we heard that I was like, "Oh crap!" And the second he gobbled, there were some tr- there were some uh, hens very close to him. They started tree yelping, and uh, I told Nick, "I was like, oh dude, like I don't know what we're gonna do here. Like it's again super steep face, holding on yards. I'm like, let's you know, 
go down a little bit further from and kind of cut, you know, get at that 45 degree angle. Well, when we did that and I al hooted, another gobbler gobbled right off the edge of the point or right around the edge of the point. And I heard no one was further down the drainage from us, the, the draw, the hauler. So I'm like, let's, let's ease down a little bit closer and, uh, and kind of get in between these two birds. And that was a terrible mistake <laughs> because we do. And like you talked about the autumn olive and the autumn olive, Again, I heard when, you know, when we interviewed you before about deer hunting, you know, ground hunting and everything on a previous episode. Which Andrew, can you look at what episode yeah, number yeah, was that? Um, you talked about all autumn olive and how thick it was in whole nine yards, and I'm like, I, I didn't really understand exactly what it looked like until we got there. And it's crazy how much autumn olives in around all these reclaims, the, the, uh, where they you know strip mine the whole top of the ridges, but even out of those areas, even on some of these hill faces and these, especially these skitter trails, there's a bunch of it. And we get to the, the very point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we get to the point of that little ridge. And I say little, like, for that area, it'd be a giant ridge where we're at. And uh, the, log, the skid trail goes right through this autumn olive. There's a ton of autumn olive right there. And it's real thick. Again, it reminds me of mountain laurel, just thicker. And I owl hoot again. And now the gobbler that was off the edge of the point is now 60 yards from us. He must have been gobbling away from us when he was on the limb because now he's facing us. He gobbled and he's like in our face. I'm like, dude, this turkey's 100% eye level with us. Like, I can't see him, but he is right here. Like, he is shooting distance from us. And uh, it's still probably 20 minutes before fly down. I'm like, this is this is not a good spot. And, you know, we, uh, me and Nick struggled. I, I, I turned around to the camera, and this footage is going to be hilarious. I turned around to the camera when he gobbles after I owl hoot, and he's 60 yards from us. My eye, and Nick said my eyes looked like softballs. So when I turned around and looked at the camera, I'm like, dude, he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's when all hell broke loose because I'm like, crap, well, now what do we do? And, you know, we hadn't made a single, you know, hadn't yelped at, hadn't made a single turkey noise at him. But I'm like, we are, I was thinking, I'm like, we are too tight. Um, and what I was hoping was he'd pitch onto our side of the hill and come up on that logging road. And we just made way too much noise trying to set up. Actually, Nick, we're gonna have him on an outro coming up, maybe in a couple, maybe in a month or two. When he was with, the, he had his camera. We try to slip off the backside of that log, that uh, skitter trail, and try to get up on the 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 high ground above it, uh, just so you know, turkey gets on the skitter trail. We get a shot opportunity as he comes around the skitter trail to us. Well, when we did that, Nick slipped, rock slipped out from underneath him, and uh, this is say he caught a root right between his legs. <laughs> and uh, he was down for the count for probably a couple minutes. Uh, not necessarily groaning. He did a good job controlling himself. But uh, we just made way too much noise. And that turkey that was super close to us, he never gobbled again. The one that had the hens with him, he gobbled a few more times. And the other one across the point from us. But what I learned was you get in super tight to those burgers, even if you're quiet and you get set up, it's such a weird topography setup and situation that you get right on top of a bird and he might not come anywhere near you. He may go all the way down the drainage, or you might be too close to him where, like, you can really do much because he can see so far, you know, when he's up on top of that tree, you know, 60-foot-plus up a tree. Um, and it just it tremendously hurt us in that case instead of, again, maybe sitting further back three, 400 yards, letting him pitch down, maybe try to see if they'll gobble on the ground and then reposition on them once they're on the ground. So can we talk a little bit about that? Because you gave me some great words of wisdom about, like, maybe don't rush in there when they're gobbling the tree. Don't get too excited. Let them hit the ground, let them start talking, and then make a move. I'm just not a big guy. And it's not – it's just me. And and, and Zach, he's, he's kind of the same way. We'll get in as tight as we can. Today we knew we had to get in tight. That was our game plan from last night was to sneak in this backside of this knob, get in the timber, and get it get in as tight as we thought we could. 
which we got our tight is not being able to see the gobbler in the tree. Uh, our tight today was was a hundred yards of them, you know. Um, I'm not a big roost roost guy because I've just never had success with it. I've never had birds just pitch down and come doing the breast roll by God and just say, "Hey, shoot me five minutes after light." I've just never had it. I, I wouldn't want to know what to do if I saw a bird flying down in my direction. Uh, I'd probably just sit there and get choked up and just watch it happen. Uh, so we always stay back, let them hit the ground, and then try to work them and then work ourselves into position. It just gives us more options. Like if I, when, you know, when you told me that happened to you that evening when we were talking, when we got back, like as soon as I'd have heard those birds, I probably would have set up you know, two, 200 yards from those birds and see if they pitched off to the level you're on or if they pitched off to the level below you, you're still in good shape because you can move, you know, upstream or downstream on that bench above them to get, if you, if you know that they're going upstream, then you can just run two points ahead and then drop down. They're probably going to stay right on that bench. Now, last week, I think it was tougher. I saw, didn't see, but I, I'd heard more roosted birds flying downhill than before. But I also think that, that there's a reason for that, and I think it was because of the warm and dry. You know, we hadn't had no rain for a couple of weeks, and it was extremely hot last week, not normal for this time of year. Every mud hole, every ditch, everything was dry up on top. And I think those birds were flying low for water and to stay cool. Um, so I think it, uh, that's my opinion why those birds were pitching off downhill because it's not that's normally not the case. You know, they usually pitch off side hill or just fall right off their tree onto a skitter road. And had several birds last last week that pitched straight down the mountain and one of the either that's where the hens went but i mean hell turkeys is turkeys they usually don't pitch off straight down the mountain not here but i think it was due to the heat and them wanting to get into the hollers where the water where there was water and where it was cooler um so that made hunting extremely tough um but if you use if you got birds on, you know, doesn't matter if it's in a drain or on a point. If you're if you can get to the point from them and get set up and do some soft yelps until they hit the ground, see what they're going to do, and then plan on making a move after that. That's that's kind of the strategy that we we use. Uh, does it always work? No. Are you always walking a lot? Yes, but you know that's what we that's how we like to hunt them it, it, and we kind of hunt the we ain't necessarily always hunting the the turkey uh we hunt the terrain more than not more than hunting the turkey, but you know the turkey's gonna be pretty predictable 
once he's on the ground. So if you know the terrain and you're looking on on X and you're finding those lines, you know, your transition lines where there's benches, then, you know, you're going to hunt that terrain on where you think that bird's going to go. And that's, that's kind of how we hunt. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. One thing I noticed about you and Zach is y'all are not in a rush to kill one early. Um, Guys. (laughs) Let's talk about this because, again, a lot of turkey hunters – and again, me and Andrew are guilty of this too. You're like, you want to kill one before 8 a.m. Like you want to get it done early. And it's almost like you put so much pressure on yourself. Maybe you, you, you don't, you're trying to make the most out of something where if you would wait a little bit and the bird's talking, maybe you can get yourself in a better position. That's a lot easier to call him to you. You may not screw that, op- that opportunity up. Let's talk about this because that is a huge takeaway I had from you guys. Cause you're not worried about trying to kill him right off the roost. Like you just mentioned that, like you're not a big roost hunter. And a lot of the turkeys y'all killed this season are later on into the morning. I mean, some of them are even close to the quitting time, uh, which is one o'clock where we were at. So, can we let's talk a little bit about that? Because again, you say you like you don't have a lot of patience, but if you really look at the, your hunting style and how y'all are killing birds, you are not necessarily worried about trying to kill one right there early in the morning. Which again, if it happens, it happens. It's great, but it doesn't seem like it's a big priority for you guys right when the you know their feet hit the ground. That hey, we need to get them killed within an hour. No, it it's it really not. Um, like you said, if we can, if we can trust me, if we can kill a bird early, <laughs> we're gonna kill it early. <laughs> but we just we just don't stress out about it. 
if you know if we get in like right now the birds they seem to be pretty vocal on the roost and if you're with the if you're if you're with the right birds right now they're they're staying vocal till eight o'clock you know and then we know that it's going to be a grind from eight o'clock to one o'clock but our attitude is is we you know every day we we know we're going to strike one between eight and one and if it's after 10 or 10 30 and we strike one chances of us getting an opportunity that bird are very high and if we strike one at noon i'm gonna say that bird's gonna die um now there's not a lot of hunters staying out there till legal time but if we've not killed a bird, we stay out till one o'clock every day. You know, a lot of people go out and try to hoot in the morning. They don't hear nothing. They go on back to the house and warm leg it. You know, they crawl back under the sheets and they warm leg it the rest of the morning. And you just can't do that. You know, we like killing them early, but it just, it don't happen very often for us because we're not like super aggressive on getting up. You know, if we get up there at daylight, you know, we're okay with it. If we, if we get up there and the birds are done, flew down, we're good with it. You know, I mean, you were leaving at what time in the morning? Oh, uh, uh, by four at least, which it's not even gobbling yeah. time till six fifteen or so. Yeah. Well, you know, we got up on this morning was the earliest we got on the hill just because we had a game plan and we wanted to get in there but we never got up we got on the hill at 6 15 6 20 every morning you know we just don't see no we hunt every day and it's already bad enough the grind that we're on so that extra hour of sleep means the world to us because when you're only getting three or four hours of sleep a night, you know, that extra hour means a lot. I mean, I think between, uh, I think I hunted 11 days straight and got, I think I got about 39 or 40 hours of sleep between driving to Virginia and back, you know, two and a half hour drive down there, two and a half hours back and then work, you know, both of us work. So we don't, we just don't stress out and that might, that's just us. But I mean, you saw it Wednesday. I mean, I wasn't worried about getting up on the hill, leaving at no four o'clock in the morning. I did, we just, we've killed more birds past 10 than we have before 10. It's that simple for us. Well, it's like also uh, having the confidence that you can strike a bird later in the morning um, that some guys just don't have. Like some guys, and again, I'm guilty of it too you know, it gets to nine thirty, ten o'clock and you're like, all right, now what? And, you know, you're trying to cover ground and, and you're trying to strike a bird. But it's like the thing I learned with you guys, you and Zach is grinding all the way until quitting time, covering ground, running, gunning, trying to strike a bird. You know, when you strike them, you're going all effort and trying to figure out, especially if he keeps gobbling after you strike him, um, how to get down on his level in order to get him killed, uh, which kind of goes 
kind of where I wanted to, uh, I guess, segue the conversation is, you know, when we hunted Wednesday, again, it was one of those days we didn't get out there, you know, right before we didn't, we didn't get out there in the dark. It was after fly down by the time we got there, really, to where we were going to hunt at. And again, going into the, the whole hunt with the confidence that, Hey, we get, we're going to strike a bird. We're going to strike a bird. We're going to figure out how, how to work that bird. And it goes back to the whole echoing of calls or casting your calls in these areas. And also like how the gobble will sound different in, in different locations in different areas. And that's why I really want to get to, because where we had struck this bird on Wednesday morning, and again, it was probably 30, 40 minutes after fly down by the time we kind of get in that area where we were calling up, you know, trying to strike one off the road down this big basin below us, this big holler. Um, one thing you mentioned was, you know, trying to get in a certain spot to call down into in order to echo that call across that holler and back up some of those other small drainages where there could be a turkey kind of tucked up in there. Um, This is something that was super fascinating that I I really want to talk about is, again, bouncing that call off these other sides because one thing that you you and Zach told me, uh, I think it was after opening morning, um, was the whole idea about – checking birds like maybe you get one to strike from across the holler you circle around on him you get on his same ridge side he call he doesn't answer and you're like well something's up and one of you guys will go back around the other side try to again strike him again and if he gobbles again then clearly he can't hear you when you're on the same ridge line as him because the little bulges in the ridge and all that kind of stuff let's talk about that because i found that super fascinating because again it doesn't seem like we deal with that as much down here just because you don't have like super aggressive like terrain and elevation change. How does that kind of work there? Because again, that's something that kind of threw me off and also how it throws the calls, not only that you're, you're, you know, producing, but also throws those gobblers in a way where he may sound so much further than where he really is. It's not because he's necessarily turned away from you, but maybe he's on the backside of a little point or a little bulge off the side of the ridge or the mountain that just makes him sound way different than if he was gobbling directly right at you. Well, it, it's just how the sound travels in those nooks and crannies. It's it's just like um, we'll call back from the edge to start with, just in case something is, you know, within that fifty to seventy five yards below us. Um, and then we'll get up, you know, where I got up on the berms to where I could cast the sound straight down that face because. If you're calling back on one of those benches and say you're back off that bench and you're calling, well, that sound wave is going to go straight across. It's it's not going to it's not going to go out here to the edge and dive down. It's going to go straight across to that holler or, or, or the hillside across from you. And I'm not saying you, just so the listeners understand it. I mean that the hillside across from you might be eight hundred thousand yards away. You know, but so you can strike birds over there, but then once you don't, it, once you don't hear, you know, the birds maybe that's in that kill zone of a hundred yards. Once they don't gobble, you don't strike them or shock them. Then we kind of move up to the edge to where we, you know, hold up and cast our sound down, and. Uh, Wednesday was a perfect example when we struck the bird across the holler and we went over there and 
call, and I I knew he was right on the point where he was at. And he didn't gobble, right? So we, we ran all the way back around to where we struck him, across from him. And that bird had gone downhill. Well, we were calling uphill, and our sound wasn't getting to him down over the hill. But from across the holler, it would hit him at that angle where you couldn't call to him on his side. Now, where I screwed up was, was I thought we had time to get down on that bird by cutting the distance in half when, in reality, as we were coming down, he was coming across right below us, and he ended up getting in front of us, which screwed us. Because uh, once the bird's in front of you, after having to come up out of that godforsaken place, it's hard to get back in front of him because he quit gobbling. And that's but, well, I was going to say that I really want to dive into this because that, like you said, it was a perfect example. And we got some cool video, but also some audio recordings from it that we might try to cut something up for. Um, actually, like an audio version of part of that hunt because you were kind of talk. We were you were kind of giving me tips and stuff as we were working through the situation because to give the listeners a perspective, when we struck him across the holler, we were probably seven hundred fifty yards from him, probably, yeah. and and he was yeah. gobbling. And then when we got around to him and we were calling to him from above where he couldn't hear us, we probably got within 250 yards of that bird easily, maybe even closer than that. Oh, yeah. And he yeah, we were probably 200 yards of him, and he couldn't hear us. He couldn't hear us, but when we go back right. around, he, he'd gobble again at us when we're 750 yards. And that's the eye-opening perspective is because that point he was off, there was really no way for us to get all the way up to the edge of it because we knew that bird was close because we thought we'd get him to come up on that roadbed and, and come down that skitter trail right to us, and he was just down below us, and he couldn't hear us. And that was, like, again, super eye-opening of, like, how close those turkeys could be. They don't hear you, but when you go back around and you double or triple that distance from that turkey, he'll then gobble at you because he hear you a lot more clearly coming across that holler. That's right. That's right. And you're not having to pitch your sound, but you always have to find those, you know, you always find those small points here in the mountains. Like you think it's a point, like a, it, these points don't just draw out and just continue down. They're just, they might be a point that just, it's hard to explain. It might only be 20 yards wide at the bottom of the point and it just come out and go down, but you might be on one side of it calling bird gobbles or he doesn't gobble. And then you move around that little terrain feature and it's, it's nothing. And then you call and he gobbles cause he just, your sounds about bouncing off of it and it's not carrying to him or it's carrying over top of him if he's below you. And then it happens with them gobbling too. So it happens all the time you call them to them, but it also happens when you're listening for them and you think, okay, he's, he, he's right there. I mean, we go back, back and forth. Zach and I do. We'll say, man, call at him one more time. I hate to call at him again. Call at him one more time. Let's just, let's see if we can get a pinpoint where he's at because when that bird's strutting and turning, it makes it sound different, and it's bouncing, 
his his sound waves are bouncing off different train features as he's turning and strutting and gobbling. So it's throwing his sound off. Um, the perfect example of that, Jake, was that last bird we was on, and we were in a in a struck this bird, and the gobble sounded good. I mean, it was down the holler ways, and we walked. You know, we walked a while to get to it. But then when I got down there, I hit it again. <sighs> he gobbled. I mean, I know it was a gobble. Mm-hmm. Jacob's 100 yards from me. And I looked at Jacob. I said, where was it at? <laughs> Jacob said. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you you – you say, where was that at? And everybody goes. Point every direction. Just, Point every direction. And he, he asked me where I heard it. And I said, hell, I, I don't know either. It sounded like it was back up the holler. Yeah. Where we come from. But it, that bird wasn't up the holler. He was down there where we were at. But we couldn't get a pinpoint being down in that holler with him. Because he was bouncing off the little nooks and crannies in the hollers down there in the big holler we were in and he could have been, he could have been around another point and just carried across and where you get down there tight, you know, you're not up here high where, where it's real wide, say where it's 750 yards wide. You're down here in the bottom of the holler where it's tighter. Well, the bird might be around the point and he gobble. Well, that sound wave is just going across the hill 150 yards and then hitting and bouncing again and then it's carrying somewhere else and it makes it it don't it doesn't give you a true direction because you don't think about it in sound waves but i mean it's not it's getting absorbed and it's bouncing and it makes it sound like it's it's somewhere it ain't you know and and, uh, sometimes it's tough to figure them out yeah and that was a perfect example because i was going to bring that up I mean, we get down there in that drainage, like you, or that hollow, like you were saying. You're 100 yards from us, and when he gobbled, when you you cut on your on your uh, your slate call, or your glass call, and he gobbled, and I'm like, and Nick was with me, and we all pointed different directions of where we thought that turkey yeah. gobbled from, and it was crazy because when we were further up the draw, the the, the holler. We knew he was down there, kind of like where you had walked down to, and we had walked. I mean, we're it's a, it's a mile and a half. You know, we went a mile and a half down this this holler trying to find him, and when it gobbled, it was the craziest. And again, I've never experienced this before where you have a gobble or a gobbler, he gobbles and you cannot pinpoint him. It is like, I have no idea where it came from. Like it is somewhere probably within four or 500 yards of us, but I can't tell. I mean, he could have been above us. He could have been across the, the holler from us. He could have been down below around the point. It was just, uh, it was just crazy how, again, that sound just went everywhere. And we really couldn't figure out you know where that bird was and we pretty much i mean we didn't have a whole bunch of time left so we pretty much had to you know put that bird up and, and had to go cover some other ground and get to some other spots because again there was no way to pinpoint where that turkey was and it's like it's not like you sit down right there and just keep calling um because you have no idea where that turkey's going to come in from um and uh well, it's that, you're, just, you're burning time and we've already walked like you said we probably walked a mile and a quarter mile and a half well you got to walk all the way back out of there to start covering new ground. That's the other give and take of taking off. You got to be committed to it. 
and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to hunt, you know, down here, or am I going to take a chance here or am I going to go try to strike one somewhere else? So that kind of put us in a pickle too, because it took us, but it take us 45 minutes to get out of there. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So it, you know, it probably took us 45 minutes to get up out of there and that's 45 minutes of hunting time when you've only got right now from about 630 to one. And that, you know, you burn 45 minutes of, of walking back out of an area, you know, that's a lot of time that you're losing. That's the other thing that sucks about it is everything's time consuming. It, it sounds like there's a decent amount of situations where the the turkey's just in a spot where you can't really get to it. You can't pinpoint them. You can't call them up to you or whatever. Like you were talking about a story earlier uh, where there was, I think, like a gobbler off of a point and you were calling off the edge and you just can't quite figure out exactly where he's at. Um, what are some of the other factors that that make you decide that you need to just move on? Because for a lot of people listening, if you've got a turkey who's responding to you, like it might feel weird to kind of back out and go try to find a different bird. But if he's just in a spot where you really don't have a great chance of calling him to you without, you know, busting him or whatever. uh, I mean, what are some other factors that lead you to that decision where you're going to walk the mile and a half back out away from a turkey that just responded to your call in order to go find a different turkey? Um, if that bird would have gobbled again, I would have stayed in there. I, 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 that's probably one of our downfalls is any bird that gobbles. If it's a goblin bird, we go after it. And that's a, it's not a good thing because today, you know, I missed that bird earlier this morning. And of course I'm I'm mentally just beating myself. Um but we go running and gunning, trying to strike one, and didn't know no good for, for probably two hours. Never never heard a bird. And we get to an area and we're getting ready to call in this big open face. We're looking across the holler. We know we're going to have to, if we hear one over, we're going to have to move. Well, bird starts gobbling on his own. We let him gobble again. We get a good location on him. We hump it all the way over there. And we know that we're on the point where he's at. We throw everything we got to that bird. Nothing. And Zach said, he said, man, he said, let's walk out this ridge 150 yards and just throw our sound down in his holler and see if he might just been lower than what we thought when we first heard him. Because we thought he was up high. Well, we start walking out this ridge and we pie-faced that bird. He was sitting out there one level below us, about 50-foot difference in elevation, knowing he could hear us, never said a word. But, we, you know, we tried to get in his bubble. We just got too close to him, and 
when I say pie face, that's just what when you run head and eyes into one. You know what I mean? Uh, you get pie on your face. And we've said it for years, and it's just like if you think you're hearing a gobble in these mountains and you think it's two points over and you run that first point and he's 10 yards on the other side, you pie-faced him. He's out there, you know. But we won't hardly leave. I mean, we were getting ready to leave that bird just because he wasn't fooling with us. It's it's hard to uh, – and I'm not going to say that video content has a influence, but it does because it's hard to make a video of you just sitting there blind calling, bird not gobbling. You don't see no birds. And then all of a sudden one's going to pop up silent. You're going to kill it. Well, well, who the hell wants to watch that? That's boring. I mean, I it's boring for me. I'm not going to sit there. You know what I mean? I don't want to sit there and, and just know that, that turkeys are going to come to this strut zone at some point point in the day they're going to be here let's sit on it now i i want one that's responsive that's vocal maybe i gotta work harder for him sometimes maybe i don't uh so if a bird's not working with us we we leave them but now if it's a goblin bird we usually stay on to it till it quits gobbling uh but we want we want i mean just for it wouldn't matter if we before we was videoing we do the same thing. We, I mean, I, I can't, I can't sit there and go, man, is this bird gonna come in here? Where's he at? What's he? What do you think he's doing? I mean, it's, it drives me batch crazy. <laughs> so to answer your question, Andrew, if the bird's gobbling, we stay and hunt. If he doesn't seem like he's doing anything for us, I mean, if he's gobbling, we're gonna stay on him. We're gonna try to make a move until we either bust him or he busts us. Okay. But once he's not gobbling, being vocal, you know, we'll give him time if they won't come in silent after if they've been vocal, if they won't come in silent. But if it's 25, 30 minutes and nothing's happening, we're going on and find the next bird. And if we find him, we find one, we find one. If not, we don't. We come back the next morning and do it all over. You know, it's a. Uh, that's kind of our attitude of turkey hunting, you know, just like if we don't get up at daylight, we don't get up at daylight, you know, um, we, we're going, we're going to find a bird through, you know, we're going to find a bird through hard work and persistence, just to be honest. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, and today, you know, with Zach's bird last week and today, uh, even my bird last week, I, I didn't kill it till 11 o'clock. Um, and today, hunting till 1247. After missing one this morning, that bird that I was just telling you about, pie-faced him. And then after that, we went back out of the holler to another face and called and struck a bird. And I said, he's right there. I said, let's go. Just heard a goblin was just frantic, wanting to get over there. And normally we sit there and, and either let that bird gobble again to get a good pinpoint, 
or strike him again. Well, we didn't. We just took off and traveled two miles and got over there and couldn't get that bird to gobble. He didn't say anything. We hunted We hunted that whole short ridge system and never got a bird to gobble and come off there, and it was like noon. And we got to where we could take the road down off the mountain. And I said, what do you think? And he said, it's whatever you want to do. He said, I'm the cameraman. You're hunting today. Well, I could have turned and went down the mountain and went and got some McDonald's and come to work. And But I didn't. I went on out the ridge. I said, well, we're already up here. We might as well call and see if we can strike one. And we struck. He would got out ahead of me. I was calling off the side of the ridge, and he went out ahead of me walking. And I said, just wave me up through there after you call a little bit. Well, he comes sprinting back, and I know I know he struck one. Got our stuff on, went out there. He said, call right here and see if they got well, he I called. They cut me off. He said, they're closer than what they were when I called. So we ran down this point that has a road on it. I stopped, called. They were closer. I ran down about 20 more yards, called. They gobbled. They were closer. We sat down. Once we, I said, we got everything set up. I said, are you ready? He said, yeah. And I called again. They cut me off. And they were, hell, they were 75 yards. And then it was silent. I mean, hell, it seemed like all the birds and everything hushed. So I called again, nothing. Ten seconds later, we counted it on the video. After I called and they didn't answer, I said, I said, they're coming. And then I said, there they are. And I saw their red heads coming through the weeds below me on that road and killed one. And that's that's a hundred percent persistence of staying out, having the positive attitude that we're going to strike one. Because if you strike one at 1230, if you can get to them, chances are you're going to kill that bird. It's simple as that. But it's having the attitude to stay out there till then in order to give yourself that opportunity. And I think that that's where a lot of turkey hunters give up at that nine, 10 o'clock range going, nothing's gobbling. Well, that's a, that's pretty much a dead time. You're just, we're just running and trying to strike one at that time. We don't do, we don't have a lot of action between eight and 10. If we strike one, we'll go after it, but it's the, and everybody can go home at that time. Everything's telling you to call it quits and go in early and go do some work. But it's the attitude of staying out and knowing, not knowing, but it's having that attitude that we are going to strike one. And we may or may not, but if we don't, we just come out and do the same thing tomorrow. But to stay out there and do it, when you do it a couple times, it will keep you out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something to be uh, said about that persistence and the, the tenacity to want to stay out there that long. And it relates also to even a lot of the deer content that we do. I mean, how many guys do we talk to who are killing, you know, upper echelon bucks at noon, 1 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, 11, 
in the morning. You know, they're out there at the time where everybody else is at Jack's or at Waffle House or whatever. So, I mean, there's something to be said about that, man, just staying persistent. And uh, and really, no matter what we're talking about, if we're talking about deer hunting, we're talking about turkey hunting, we're talking about fishing, it doesn't matter. The people who are the most successful are the ones who spend the time out there and, and put the effort in. Exactly like what you're talking about. The guys who stay out there till 1 o'clock, till it's quitting time, they're going to kill the most turkeys, you know, because they got the most time in the field to, you know, putting effort in towards that goal. And it, it, you're exactly right. It's just like with deer hunting. And I think we talked about it when I was on with on, you on all. episode talking. 185. Is that what it is? 185. <laughs> and we're, I told Jacob and those guys, they were talking about deer hunting, you know, last week. And it's, there are a bunch of good deer hunters in Southern West Virginia in those bow hunting only counties. And, you know, we, we just get exposed, but I always tell, you know, when I've been on with you all, it's like, I just want to be in the woods during season as, as many minutes as possible, just because it increases your opportunity odds. You know what I mean? It's, it's like implied odds in poker. It's what can happen if you hit, you know what I mean? Uh, so I'm, we just, we're kind of hunting for that opportunity. If we're out, if we're not out there, we ain't going to get it. Nobody's going to get it. You're going to hunt for a bologna sandwich at the, at the station down there or something, but you're not going, you're not, and you know, I'm not saying success is in the, is in the keel, but in order for us to kill, I feel like staying out there and giving ourselves the most time, which gives us the most opportunities. And if we have so many opportunities, we are going to kill something in one of those opportunities. It might not be every opportunity, but we're going to, we're going to harvest something in one of, in one of those opportunities. And that's kind of the way we look at it. But then when you find success of staying out there on that grind, and you and you kill a couple birds at that 11, 12 o'clock time frame, then you're more apt to stay out at 11 or 12 o'clock every day because you know what can happen. And it, I know it'd be hard for some people that haven't killed in the later part of the day to stay out. If they say, man, I've never had success doing that. Well, I, that, your mind's telling you go on to the house. I know that's tough. And I'm not an all-day turkey hunter. You know, I, I love states that I don't like the 12 o'clock. I think 12 o'clock really tight, but I like the 1 o'clock. Like, I don't like that afternoon bite turkey hunting. I don't like all-day turkey hunting. You know, I I like working and doing whatever I need to do that afternoon and being able to just come back and hunt till 1 the next day. So... I like that one o'clock cutoff period. Yeah. Another thing that uh, I notice that can really, I think lead you to having more success is having a really good buddy that has the same tenacity and desire as you do when you're out in the field that kind of keep pushing each other when, you know, it gets slow. You start thinking about, man, you know, a cold drink and a, and a bologna sandwich right now would, would feel pretty good, especially if you didn't pack anything with you. 
to keep you up there and focus on the, the goal at hand, which is to go kill a turkey. Uh, but also not even just that, but be able to help you listen. One thing I learned when we were out there and hunting with you is there was times when like say that, that first bird that we struck and we went back around the ridge, well, after we sat up on him, he didn't gobble. When we came back around, we tried to strike him from the same spot. And you did a cut sequence, and I thought I had heard a gobble, and it was so faint. I'm like, I, that might have been one. It might have been a woodpecker, but it might have been a gobble. Well, let's walk up the road, because it was kind of back around the road from where we were calling That's from. Right. And, I mean, it was so faint. It, I, it was so faint, I almost didn't even bring it up. I almost was like, I don't think that was like, – I almost wasn't even saying anything. It was that quiet. And we walk over there, not 45 yards from where we had just called from, where we're kind of bending around the road where we can kind of call back up into that, that holler. And you call, and he's right there in front of us. I mean, he's right across from <laughs> us, but it's like, boom, right in our face. Like, you can hear yeah. him perfectly. But literally, 45 yards away, he sounded so far and so faint. It literally, like, I was not even, I, I was like 35% sure it might have been a gobble. Like, I, it was like, <laughs> I, it was that low, my totem pole of like, I'm like, I think it was a gobble. Let's go, let's go try. And he gobbled right in our face. And I was like, that to me is a huge part because, you know, not everybody's ears are the same. And it's kind of interesting. There were some other times that morning where, like, you heard a gobble, and I was like, was that a gobble? And you're like, yeah, dude, he gobbled right there. And then he'd gobble again. I'm like, oh, now I hear him. And it's so funny how that is because, like, sometimes you'll be by yourself, and, like, some, you you may be distracted. You may do a, a – you know, you might try to strike one, but you're, like, distracted. You're not, like, necessarily in the moment. And you're like, hey, was that a gobble? And, like, you start second-guessing yourself first if you have a buddy there that you can kind of bounce off, like, hey, was that a gobble? Did you did you, did you you confirm that was a gobble? Do you think it was a gobble or not? Um, to help you, help you stay focused in that situation because, again, like, that was a perfect scenario. Again, 45 yards difference made it from, like, him being so faint that I think I was the only one that really hear him. We go over there, and he gobbles in our face. Like, I mean, it sounded like he was 200 yards from us, but he was probably about 500. But he was just – it was yeah. nothing but air in between him and us, and it sounded crystal clear. No, it definitely um, – I don't like – I mean, I, I really enjoy hunting with other people. So I don't – I would I would still go by myself if I didn't have anybody to hunt with, but I like hunting with people. Just what you said, as long as you have people that are helping, it because it does help tremendously. And then having somebody, Zach, is really good to – if I say – Let's go over there. Zach's like, he's all aboard. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if he says, I mean, hell, we walked that one ridge to his bird. It was 1.2 miles to one of the worst thickets I've been in, in southern West Virginia. And right, filming right along, right behind him, you know, it helps when you have, you know, Zach and I hunt well, real well together. And I, I mean, heck, for us hunting first time in the woods, you were always listening and then coming and going to di- different angles to listen from. And, and it helps when people are doing that uh, because you can't hear everything, especially if you're sitting there calling because you're calling and getting that sound directly right at you. That If you ever see me, I, I always I try to put it up here so that I can still hear because if I cast that sound out just above me then i can still hear a little bit and i'm always trying to cut up above me for that reason just to be able to hear a little better and then it just helps with attitude too when you say man it's a slow morning i will get one Mm. come on you know it it always you know it, it 
it, it's just a grind, but you got to love that grind. You know, people ain't going to go out there if they don't love that grind. You know, they're, they're the ones that are going to kill early birds and, or not and go home. And But I love it. I mean, I, I don't think there's very few sounds better than a gobbler at 50 yards and he's just rattling the timber. And, I mean, it just absolutely makes me want to turn my insides out. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, Josh, you, you get pretty tore up, man. That's the fun thing. That's you know, I, I was I was telling Andrew this um, of the few birds I've killed. One reason I want to come back up there to West Virginia is because like those small failures. Like I still look at it as a, 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 a I can't talk success a, success of a trip because I learned so much hunting with you guys and kind of bouncing ideas off. But it's like killing a bird up there would be so much more gratifying versus like even some of the turkeys I've killed down here just because of like the adversity of like going in hunting that train and just how rugged it is to make it all come together to me is like the the sweet thing. That's, that's the thing I love about like the whole failure aspect. That's what I was telling Andrew. Like this is the, this is the first year I've had where I'm like, I'm truly mad at the turkeys. Like I'm talking like fired up, ready to roll. <laughs> like, I told Andrew, cause he's already talking about like, Hey man, when are we going to switch over to just all deer content? I'm like, dude, whenever we're done hunting. Cause I'm like, when Alabama <laughs> season's done, I'm still trying to go somewhere else, dude. Um, <laughs> But it, but the the failures. What happened to me earlier this season? I was telling Andrew, like I killed one bird second day of opening, uh, a second day after opener for public land in Alabama, and you know I, I was excited and stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't like I was like over uh, I wasn't like over the moon excited. It was like it was it was awesome, and then I did two hunts in a row, completely got my teeth kicked in by turkeys. Okay, weren't gobbling much and all this kind of stuff. And I called Andrew. I'm like, man, I'm now mad at him. It's not <laughs> happened to luck. They freaking kick my teeth in, and I'm like, dude, now it's like all-out war. Whatever it takes, we're going to go find some turkeys and go try to kill some turkeys, man. And uh, and to me, all those failures or those days that you aren't successful, to me is what makes me that much more hungry to go out and, and try to have that success versus just quitting. And you do, you have some some people, just personality-wise, that they fail every how many times, and they're just done with it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm done, throw them the towel, hold on yards. But it's like when you have some success and then you have some failures – to me, it makes it that much sweeter when you can actually put it all together, have success, get your bird killed, and then kind of sit back and, and reminisce on what happened and how everything played out and how you can use what you learned from that hunt for a future hunt to kind of replicate that success. Yeah, I don't ever think I, – I don't think anybody ought to judge. Like you, you're saying you failed. I think every time you go out, if you learn something, it's success. Or if you're with your buddies and, you, and you're building a relationship – it's a success. I think that whenever we harvest something, you all harvest something, anybody who in general, who, if they harvest something, that's, that's a bonus to what hunting is for me. Like hanging out with all you all, like, no, we didn't kill anything, but I learned some things up there. And then, you know, you and I sit around BS for six hours, you know, when we were going back and forth between birds or whatever we were talking, I just think that that so many people get away from that. The, the social aspect of camaraderie aspect of hunting. And that's another thing like Zach and I don't get pissed off at each other. If we, you know, he was laughing cause I missed that one today. And of course I was pissed at myself, but you know, but he's like, hey, come on, we'll go find one. And 
it's just fun being out in the woods with him and being out in the woods with Brody. Those things. I look forward to those those types of hunts, building relationships more than I did when I was younger. Younger, I wanted to just I wanted to go out and kill, you know. Oh, I got this big buck, or I killed a doe, or whatever it was. I just wanted to go out and hunt and kill. Now, um, and I don't know if it's where I've got older or, or what, but I think the whole industry is, as a whole focuses on kills and longest beard, biggest rack, all this trash. I mean, if you want to kill big bucks, that's fine. That's your opinion. Don't push it on somebody that wants to kill four corn. You know, there's way more to hunting than than the kill. So it's always a success, is what I'm telling you. Don't don't think you're failing when you're out there, because if you learn something and it's successful, or if you build a relationship with somebody, you know, it's successful. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's one of those things that um, when, when you look at, and everybody kind of judges success and failures a little bit differently. But like you said, if you can come out of the woods and learn something, that's why I say like that trip was a success for me just from like learning from like you, Zach, and even John and Cody, like all the different perspectives and like what works for some guys and what doesn't, especially in that kind of environment, because it is so different. It's fascinating what you can learn from somebody. If you're willing to sit down and actually listen to it, advice that's been given to you um, and, and kind of take it to heart and kind of figure out how you can use it, but also just the camaraderie aspect. That was the fun thing about, you know, with the camp and everything is having everybody come back, everybody's dumping footage, everybody's talking about the day and talking about all different kind of things. And that's like, that is a fun atmosphere in like camp atmosphere that really we don't get a whole bunch because typically it's just me and Andrew. Uh, we don't t- typically do like any, any kind of like big camp or anything where you have a bunch of different guys there. And that was an absolute blast kind of seeing everybody and the highs and lows of the days for everybody. And uh, and then kind of sitting back and BS and getting ready for the next morning and uh, and getting early morning wake-up calls ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, it it's just a good time. I mean, you get to have conversations with like-minded people that are influencers and you bounce ideas back and forth, you get to talk about hunting, you know, there's really nothing better. Absolutely. Well, uh, Andrew, do you have anything else? No, man, that's all I got. Well, Josh, I greatly appreciate you coming. Andrew, Andrew just sitting there just taking it all in. <laughs> man, I'm jealous <laughs> of y'all. This sounds like a fun, <laughs> fun setting, dude. I, I hate that I missed it because I always tell people, man, I live for that, that camp atmosphere. We used to do a hunt in uh, North Alabama every year with a bunch of other guys and uh, and then growing up, man, we used to do a lot of camps and that's the kind of thing that I look forward to more than anything, man. Like, when you get out there and you've got like six, seven, maybe ten guys in camp, and everyone's coming back at night, and you got that camaraderie going, I mean, dude, that's yeah. that's dude, that is a highlight of my whole year. I don't care what I what I see, what I shoot, but that that atmosphere is it, man. Yeah, that man, that's what it's all about. And, and see, what's so funny is we we call it turkey camp, but it's actually turkey office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, because we don't we don't have like camp set up. We just everybody piles in on cots and air mattresses in my office, and it's a it's a hooto, you know, because everybody's piled right in there together. And you know, like like Andrew said, I mean, uh, uh, Jacob said when everybody comes back, everybody's dropping footage and and doing what they need to do and sitting around BSing and scratching for a little bit of food and having a beverage and. You know, it's just fun, but, you know, I always make fun of it, though, because I, I want to hold this turkey camp annually every year and invite a few extra people. 
and but it's really turkey office because <laughs> we, we crash because we crash in the office but it works out man it's a good time and, and that's what it's about no, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's an absolute blast. And uh, super excited. Hopefully, maybe come back up there and experience it some more with you guys. Uh, and definitely, dude, I ain't going to lie. Kind of, you know, you're kind of tempting me to do the whole, the whole deer hunt up there. After seeing the habitat, uh, you talk about hunting some big terrain features up there, and the number of deer is crazy. So uh, uh, that, that would be a, an interesting time. But, Josh, I, I cannot appreciate you coming on enough. And also, again, I always enjoy it, man. <laughs> well, always. You'll have to drag Andrew. I'm 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 formally giving you an invitation to come up next spring. You know, your baby will be one year old. You should be able to get away for three or four days. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir, you man. Should be able to get out of Alabama for three or four days. I'd love to, man. I'd love to. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you. I'm gonna hold you to it. Do it, man! Yeah, yeah, Come on. Yeah, we gotta hold his feet to the fire on that one yeah. for sure. So, like, when it, when it gets around in February next year, we're getting Andrew's approval process. Yeah, you with better the be wife. hitting me up. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta submit my application by February fifteenth. He's gonna put that PTO time in. You know, it's called it's, right. it's PTO parent time off. So. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome josh hey if anybody wants to uh, go along and follow along with you guys during spring season also see some of y'all's deer content how can guys follow along with the untamed on social media and also on youtube yeah follow us on youtube with the untamed and it's also the untamed on instagram and facebook Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check their stuff out, guys. Uh, again, it's been a while since we had Josh on the podcast. I was saying, uh, episode 185, yes, that, was, that was like three. That's That's, like, that's well, a while back, To buddy. give you a context, Josh, we're on episode like 470 now. Yeah. So it's, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. I, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Y'all listened to me at one time, and I ain't been back in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Hell. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> no, nah, man. We're, we're just recycling some guests, man. Just recycling some guests. No, nah, man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, but, no, best luck to you for the rest of the season. Hopefully we can link back up for the later part of West Virginia season and uh, and have you. And, of course, I'm going to have Zach back on. Or Zach on. He hasn't been on the podcast before, but going to get him on talking some deer hunting, too, hopefully here in a few weeks. So, uh, again, Josh, greatly appreciate you joining us for this podcast. And, uh, again, best luck to you for the rest of your season. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.